You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. We got a lot of NBA talk to get to after witnessing the Bucks coming back from a double-digit deficit to beat the Hawks and take a 2-1 lead. Tonight, we got the Clippers at the Suns. Game 5, Phoenix trying to punch a ticket to the finals. And we've got some hires to discuss. It's been a while since Fitz and I were on the show together. You've been blessed with our presence in other places. Fitz just cheated on me again uh, on Chanae and Golik Jr. I have been cheating on him with ESPN Daily, and I hosted Around the Horn last week. So we're all over the place, but we're finally back together. And it is, in fact, Spain and Fitz with Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guest going to join us on the Goodyear Hotline. But let's just get right to it with the straight talk because we're going to get to tonight's game and last night's game in a moment. But we've been itching to talk about this now that we're back together. So it's straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. The announcement of Jason Kidd as the new head coach of the Mavs and Chauncey Billups getting the nod for the Trailblazers fits maybe on the surface. Not that surprising Two former players, respected guys who had relationships with those teams. Uh, But when you dig a little deeper, a lot of things coming up about their past and put into particular perspective because of the fact that we heard about female candidates making it deep into the process, Teaspoon and and Becky Hammond among them. And when you hear about the possibility of of a woman coach and you hear people saying, we just don't know if the guys are ready. Right. We've been we've been told to imagine a world where the guys just aren't ready to listen to a woman. But we've been asked over and over and over again to understand that they are ready to listen to someone with a history of problematic behavior with women, whether that's sexual assault, domestic violence, as a teammate, as a coach. And Fitz, I think that's why this time the pasts of these two men is becoming a particular note for people to cling to because we're holding it up next to this this near progress that we keep getting to and then never actually seeing visualized. I think it's the near progress that just continues to sort of it, it hits wrong. It it you look at everything that we expected from this hiring cycle and look, we don't know what happens in interviews, I'm the first to admit that. But we all know that and Becky Hammond particularly has been such a part of the conversation. She's come from the right coaching topic you know, trees, as we always talk about, right? She has the right background, the right endorsement from so many people. And to anyone that says players may or may not be ready, I just can't find anybody from the WNBA side, from the NBA side. I can't find anybody tied into players right now that tells me anything other than game gets game and that there's so much respect from the men and the women around basketball that gender doesn't seem to be an issue with anybody that I can find that's actually tied into the game. So while fans may say that, some analysts may say that, I just can't find any proof that it exists. And it makes these moments maddening to me because what you have is somebody that for whatever reason, we're supposed to be giving all this praise to the league for these interviews happening, but all it's doing is building up a, a, a concept without any payoff ever happening that they're actually going to take this step. So I, I feel frustrated as an NBA fan. I feel frustrated with the hiring process. I feel frustrated with sort of the way that feels like there's a bait and switch to all of this. And I stand here and I just feel like, Yet again, we're disappointed with the way something's turned out. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. A couple things. I, I don't know that they're going to get much credit now in the future for merely having women in the interview process, no matter how far they go. We're at the point now, I think, where we will stop applauding the NBA for being progressive merely for thinking about it. There will actually need to be an action taken for it to, to signal real progress. 
As for the conversation around these two coaches, I do understand an initial response from some people who aren't fully educated on these issues to say, why are we talking about this now, right? Jason Kidd has been a head coach in both Milwaukee and Brooklyn and has spent the last two seasons assisting on the Lakers staff. Billups is currently an assistant with the Clippers and, you know, is, is, a, is a multi-time all-star player who was employed by Disney and ESPN. I think there's two reasons that this is coming up now uh, for each of them. One is that Kidd is joining a Mavs team that Mark Cuban very publicly stated needed to change its culture after issues um, mm. with sexual harassment within the ranks of the staff. And then to go ahead and hire someone like Kidd without being transparent or acknowledging how those two things might not coincide uh, was, I think, part of the reason this is really being brought up now, especially because Kidd's previous tenures, both with Milwaukee and Brooklyn, were plagued by what felt like a desire to sort of usurp everyone above him and change everything and and you know seize control and people are wondering if that's going to work and, and if he's the right person with that back with that sort of toxic background with Billups again he's had many jobs since this you know uh 1997 incident a woman alleging that he and his former teammate Ron Mercer raped her criminal charges were never filed but there was a rape kit examination of the victim that showed injuries consistent with sexual assault and he was a part of a you know, a, a plea deal, essentially like a, a, a payoff that made that go away. Whatever that says about his innocence or guilt, we can't determine for sure. But it's certainly something that the team should be ready to speak on when it comes up and certainly shouldn't result in its superstar player of Dame Lillard either having to play dumb or actually not know about this because it's been so buried. And that's why it was frustrating, Fitz, when on first take today, Kendrick Perkins decided to paint this as a picture of money grubbing or bad agenda from the people bringing it up and criticize people for wanting to have a conversation that's necessary. Here's what he said. You know, it's a bad look for people in the, around the NBA to be writing these articles at this time. That's what's a bad look because guess what? When Jason Kidd and Chauncey Billup, when they were the product and they were put on the shelves and they were selling out and they were making money and they were around here delivering championships and making all-star games and selling out jerseys and signing autographs, everything was all fine and dandy when you were the product. Now, all of a sudden, when two African-Americans have learned from their mistakes, and when I'm talking about Jason Kidd, he learned from his mistakes. He had two head coaching highs since then. He was an assistant coach with the Los Angeles Lakers, won the championship. Nothing was said. This man has changed his life. Rick Carlisle endorsed him. Uh, Dirk Nowinski endorsed him. Not a word was said. Okay, really quick. He answered his own question. The reason we're talking about this now and we weren't before is because we idolize athletes and we conflate their physical abilities with their morality. And when they were superstars, we didn't handle these things correctly. And we also have a tendency to side with superstars in cases like this because we have no reason to apply any morality or goodness to someone who is anonymous who we do not know. We instead build up people who are good at sports as if that means they are good as people. And when we did it then, it was wrong. And to do it again now is wrong. So to criticize people for writing about this because you think, quote unquote, it's too late, Fitz, is to perpetuate the, 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 the mistakes that we made before 
When, if you want to give these people second chances, if you want to employ them despite their pasts, it is on you and you are now held accountable to have those conversations about why you feel comfortable doing so. I I think it's important, too, to note that just because we accepted something before doesn't mean we should accept it now. Mm -hmm. Isn't that one of the messages we've all been trying to learn over the course of the last year and a half? I mean, I think that's an important thing for all of us in society also while Kendrick Perkins mentions the people that endorse Sarah, when you were out last week, I talked to Bobby Marks, who worked with Jason Kidd in Brooklyn, and he meant no words that he didn't like anything about this opportunity for Jason Kidd. So mm-hmm. I don't think we can say it's been universally endorsed. And third, and I think this is really important through all of this, it, it's an obligation for the team making the hire to ask every single question through the process of who they are hiring to know everything they need to know about their background. The teams in both of these cases needed to be prepared from the outset for how they were going to handle this and to decide that they were going to hire somebody that had this in their record. They had to be so comfortable with it. They knew they could handle it. And instead we've seen virtually nothing from them, which either means they don't care or it means they think it's just going to go away. But either side of that is disgusting through this interview process. Like there has to be transparency because this is the world we live in now. And the world we live in now wants better answers. And I don't think that's a bad thing. No, it's a good thing. And I hope you're listening carefully to what we're saying. We are not saying they don't deserve to have jobs or that they necessarily shouldn't have been hired. But the answer is not to shame the people asking these questions and bringing up these very important things. It's to ask for accountability and transparency from the people who are choosing to do the hiring. That is incredibly important. Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Coming up on Spain and Fitz, can Ty Lue turn around another 3-1 deficit? And who doesn't want to talk about it? We'll answer that for you next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Look back on this year's NBA playoffs. I'm pretty sure that there are going to be a couple of themes that are unavoidable. One will be inconsistency. The other could be injury. And it really reared its head last night. In the Eastern Conference Finals. The Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests are going to join us on the Goodyear Hotline. That's right, ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. You could say big when you bundle your auto, home, motorcycle, RV, or boat. Visit Progressive.com. Sarah, sitting there last night, and, you know, I was watching the game. I was uh, up at ESPN doing uh, Sports Nation last night, and, you know, I was sitting next to Trevor Scales, our buddy, and Trevor is a lifelong, diehard, uh, all day, every day, born and raised in Georgia, Atlanta guy. And so, you know, there are just moments that you don't forget, and one was the gasp that I heard from behind (laughs) me, and I look over, and I'm thinking maybe Trevor fell over, maybe, you know, something happened, maybe he got some bad news. And he's just standing uh, roughly six inches from the TV screen looking like just as pale as could possibly be. And that's when I saw the replay, because I turned my head for only seconds, of Trey Young stepping back on the foot of an official. And you could see the ankle just roll over on him. It's, uh, he's now questionable for the series or for the next game, I should say. But this was... The, oh my God, I don't know how we get through it moment. If you're a Hawks fan, if you're the Hawks for a series that has been so good, I'm not sure now it won't be defined simply by whether or not Trey Young is going to be healthy. Well, according to Trey Young, it certainly affected his play. And we saw the the streak that the Milwaukee team went on as soon as that injury happened. This had been sort of a trading buckets game until the injury. Then the Bucs outscored the Hawks 28 to 17. Here's what Trey said about not being able to finish after that ankle turn. It's uh, it's hurting. It's frustrating. Came back in. It was just kind of sore, and I 
made me mad. I couldn't really go as fast as I wanted to. And then when I did, it hurt. So got to get treatment and hopefully it feels better for next game. Interesting thing, though. I've been filling in for Pablo Torre on ESPN Daily. And Brian Windhorse, who's the expert on all things NBA, said as we recorded last night late after the game that he thinks this would have happened even were Trey Young to have been fine and in the game, that the injury occurred around the same time Trey usually leaves the game, and that Middleton getting as hot as he was, 20 points in the fourth, um, was probably going to lead the Bucks to a win regardless. They were doing the right things defensively. Offensively, they were a fire, and he was not moved as much as I was by that being the quote-unquote turning point of the game. Um, but but easy to say, I guess, um, once the once the result has been played out. Well, but it's fair and sound logic when you look at Middleton, who individually outscored the Hawks in the mm-hmm. fourth quarter. Uh, but there is some moment here where Middleton seems to just remind me about one of the themes that I think we've now seen just undeniably throughout the playoffs, which is maddening inconsistency, right? Mm-hmm. Like the same Middleton that couldn't shoot at all in game seven against Brooklyn. All of a sudden, I felt like he was playing double dribble from like the uh, early 90s. <laughs> like hey, he found that sweet cheat spot where you could just stand there and know you were going to make every shot. And it feels to to some extent like as Middleton goes at least the the Bucks have a such right. an easier trajectory because of it. One hundred percent. It's Spain and Fitz, Air Spain, Jason Fitz, Giannis still leading the way, changing the game on both sides of the floor. But without that run from Middleton, it's tough to say. And I do, in in some ways, disagree with Windhorst, just in the sense that we can't understand how Trey's swagger affects a game and an opponent. Right? Were he not to have turned his ankle, were he to come in, hit a couple threes, get that energy, get the crowd going. And it affects the confidence of the Bucks. Perhaps things end differently. Certainly something to keep in mind, though, as we look to the next game, that, as you mentioned, he'll be questionable. Bone bruise there. Um, but m- my guess is that he will be more than healthy enough to get back out there and, and keep this a series. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Obviously, the other series. And the reason that we're short tonight the Western Conference Finals, and we've Again, seen... the show is short. You're short. I'm never short, but the show is short. That is, you know, that is fair. Uh, the I'm reason not, you're I, short is, I'm guessing, genetics, or you didn't have enough milk as a kid. I'm not sure. I drink a lot of milk, and my okay. dad's kind of tall, so I just mm. think it wasn't just in the bad cards luck. for me. Yeah, bad you know, luck. Five, nine and a quarter, though. You know, it's like... It's <laughs> More than average, I've heard. I, so, so, I wear a size nine and a half <laughs> shoe. It's like almost average. Wow. Okay. Uh, yeah, I know. smaller than me. I, <laughs> Oh, if I had a nickel for every time I've heard that. Uh, so, uh, obviously, the matchup tonight, uh, by the way, we're going all the way till 830, and that's when you can check out uh, tonight's matchup between the Clippers uh, and the Suns. That'll be on ESPN Radio starting at 830 p.m. Eastern. But this all, all comes down to sort of the same conversation we have every series now. The Clippers are down by two games, but it's different when it's 3-1 versus 2 nothing. obviously. But uh, the other part of it is that this feels different because we've seen so much domination from DeAndre Ayton. It's really been incredible. Ty Lue, Clippers head coach, was on the NBA on ESPN Radio uh, talking about the the need to actually control the boards here and really making it clear that that's something they've got to get done. It's tough for us because when Booker and CPs put so much pressure on you at the rim or in their pull-ups, you know, when they miss, you know, Ayton's there to clean it up when Zubak and our bigs go to help block shots and you know our, our guards are trying to get inside and trying to fight but Aiden is a you know he's a different guy he's different than than uh, Przingis he's different than Gobert so uh, we just got you know try to bring a physicality try to box him out two or three guys got to hit him to try to keep him off the glass as best as possible 
you know, and, and he says different, I'd say better. And that's just something that, you know, we have to acknowledge at some point, whether it's a temporary run, I don't know. But right now, the version of DeAndre Ayton that we've seen since the playoffs started, I think is not only spectacular, not only special, fun to watch, but it's just, it feels different than what we've seen so far because he is so dominant at this point and we've seen a new level from him, sir. Fitz, the question for him was often just consistency. Which one are we getting? And I think the incredible coaching, not just from Monty Williams, but from Chris Paul, has turned him into a dependable star. 19 points, 22 rebounds, nine of them on the offensive end, four blocks, a presence on the inside, a presence on uh, on the offensive end. Um, this, you know, those 22 boards are the most by a Suns player in a playoff game since Charles Barkley in 95. This guy is taking over games in ways that are making it really difficult to answer back. And the question, of course, is how different is this series if Kawhi Leonard is in it? There's no way to know, but that is a major factor. This is not like any of the other. Maybe it's most like, you know, Anthony Davis being out for the Lakers. They have not been able to capitalize on two dismal shooting performances from the Suns because they themselves do not have enough to counteract with. Even when Paul George has good games, despite those free throw problems down the stretch, they still are able to take control of the flow, even as they're shooting poorly. And that's been where it's been such a disappointment for the Clippers. They've had two games that they should have taken better advantage of, uh, one of which they still won. This one, when the Suns are shooting 24% in the second half, And they Mm. still win Mm. when they score 84 points, which is the fewest points of any winning team this season. And they still win. It's because you can't produce enough on your end. And, you know, you mentioned that this was a uh, situation many have been in up two games on the Clippers, but maybe different because it's 3-1. Well, not surprisingly, Chris Paul had zero interest in talking about that particular stat line with Rachel Nichols after the game. You have done something no other team has done, which is go up on 3-1 on the Clippers in a playoff yeah, series. Yeah, I don't want to talk about 3-1. This I've got a good experience with that. I understand. I, I get that. Yeah, kind of like he's like, can we not talk about how I'm trying to finally make the conference finals either? I've heard it forever. Just let it happen, people. Stop talking about it. But there is some moment, you know, not taking anything away from Monty Williams, but the couple of times we've talked to Doris Burke over the last couple of weeks, and I've asked every time about DeAndre Ayton and what's different. She constantly says it's a different focus. There's a different professionalism Mm -hmm. and that the impact of Chris Paul is being felt now more than ever, and that's why he's so necessary on a very young team that absolutely, absolutely needs that veteran presence. So uh, I, I think this is just all a statement to Chris Paul and the legacy that he's leaving with the Suns because it's incredible to watch. Up next, could Dame time possibly be over in Portland? We'll get some expertise coming up on that next on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Remember, we're short tonight. Taking we the show is short. We've established I'm short every day. The show is short tonight. I don't know. I just walk into it every time. I'm not bright either. Uh, we're, we're till eight thirty tonight. Uh, we'll be getting you caught up on everything you need to know, and then obviously starting at eight thirty, you'll be able to get 
the NBA action tonight as uh, the conference finals from both conferences are all over ESPN Radio. If you're trying to figure out where to get us when we're off, when we're on, be sure that you are subscribing to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Always a great way to make sure that you get all of your Spain and Fitz needs. All right, we are going to head over to the Goodyear hotline. We're joined there by AJ McCord, co-host of AJ and Dusty, which you can listen to Monday through Friday from 12 to 3 on 1080, the fan out in Portland. And AJ, we really appreciate your time and you coming on to join us. Uh, We've obviously had a lot of things to say so far throughout the course of the show about the hire of Chauncey Billups. So I'd love from a local standpoint for you to give me what your thoughts were when you found out that that's the direction they were going as a host or as a, a, a coach. Yeah, I think that we in Portland, um, this was sort of a, a long game, right? Like we knew Terry Stotts had been in Portland for nine years and it was pretty apparent that he had hit his ceiling as coaching this team. That doesn't mean he wasn't an excellent coach and great for the Blazers and did great things while he was here. But we all kind of knew that if Terry didn't do something magical in this postseason, it was probably going to be time for him and the franchise to part ways getting bounced in the first round for the fourth time in the last five years is not doing something magical. So we knew that this was probably going to be a summer that the Blazers were looking for a new head coach, Chauncey Billups, one of the names that has come out from the very beginning. And so it wasn't altogether unexpected that Chauncey was going to be a finalist and even not a lot unexpected that he was a front runner. He and general manager Neil O'Shea go way back to their time with the Clippers together in the early 2010-ish era. And so it was pretty expected. But what wasn't expected was sort of the rollout of this decision and how it was handled here in Portland. And that has been become sort of the talking point, much more so than the actual hire of Chauncey as the new head coach for the Trailblazers. How has the local reaction been to the rest of, I mean, we've, we've talked a lot about Chauncey and his, uh, the, the allegations and the civil settlements. So what's the local reaction been to that part of his past? It's been swift to be truthful with you. It's been something that has been talked about among Blazers fans since Chauncey was sort of named as one of the front runners and the organization should have probably seen this coming because when Dame went out shortly after Terry Stotts was let go and said, Hey, Jason Kidd is one of the guys that I want is the guy that I want. The reaction was also very swift and it was, Hey, because of his past. And so that's something that the organization should have known if they did not know that there was going to be a reaction to the allegations in Chauncey's past and they were going to need they were going to have to address that in some capacity. Now the news sort of came out from Woj on Friday night that Chauncey was going to be named the next head coach. It is now Monday and we aren't getting a chance to talk to Neil or potentially Chauncey. I would assume he's going to be at the press conference tomorrow, but um, we haven't gotten a ta- chance to talk to anybody from the organization in about four or five days. So you guys know how quickly something can grow legs and can just take off something, especially as serious and as, as needing to be addressed and deserving of answers as something like a rape allegation. AJ, I'm back. I'm here. The internet tried to uh, keep me away from this interview, but I'm back and I'm ready to go. AJ McCord is with us on Spain and Fitz, the co-host of AJ and Dusty on 1080, the fan um, we just talked about this earlier in the show, that, that there was a real transparency and accountability that was necessary after making this decision, particularly after there were publicly uh, 
shared concerns about Jason Kidd being in the running. So uh, they could have expected this would come. And now what is resulting from it is not just a criticism of the hire, but also conflict around Damian Lillard and him putting his neck out for someone that he now claims he was unaware of the history, maybe angry with the team for not informing him or keeping him updated to save him from that embarrassment. And now there's even some concern about whether or not he can use this moment to leave the Trailblazers without having to be charged with hypocrisy for saying over and over, I don't want to leave, I want to stay. Is there a real concern around the fan base and in that city right now that he might use this to get his way out of Portland? I think that is also a story that is growing legs because Damian Lillard has forever, for as long as he has been in the NBA, he has said in the same breath, I want to win a title and I want to win it in Portland. This offseason was really important. He's going to be 31 next month. He has, I've never seen him. I've covered him for the last four or five years now, day in, day out, covering the Blazers, their practices, their games, traveling with them for the playoffs. I've never seen him as dejected and frustrated as I saw him after that loss that knocked them out of the postseason to the Denver Nuggets this year. And so this was a really important offseason to Damian Lillard. And like you mentioned, he's not somebody who has stuck his neck out and said, hey, this is who I want, this is who I want to keep. And that's because he is one of the most loyal people you will ever met. He often says, hey, if it was up to me, I would still have the exact same team that I entered the league with, which ironically would be a very good team. But the point being, he's almost loyal to a fault. So he's always left that stuff to the front office. And now this is the first time that he's doing it. And not only has there been severe backlash, but again, because of this rollout, he's really been the one to have to deal with it because Dame always shoots you straight. He is social. He is on social media. He is active. Neil Olshay is not. Jody Allen is not. And so when the fans are frustrated and wanting answers, they turned to Damian Lillard and they wanted him to provide the answers because it was known that he was going to be involved in this head coaching search to some extent. Now, Dame came out on Saturday or Sunday and said that he did not know about Chauncey's past, that he was seven or eight years old when it happened. And so he wasn't watching the news. And truthfully, I believe him. Dame's never given I didn't know about it. a reason to doubt his work. Yeah, I didn't know about it. Say it again? I didn't know about yeah. it either. I think so, a lot of people hadn't heard about it. Exactly. So I have no reason to doubt him at his word. But what has happened is that because the franchise had, has left so much time between this news becoming quote-unquote official from Woj, and then now Dame's been the only one who's had sort of the guts to come out and say anything. And so then he's left feeling like, hey, I said I wanted to be involved, but I didn't say I wanted to – sort of be left dealing with the repercussions of all of this on my own. If the Blazers are confident with their decision and hiring Chauncey Billups and saying that, hey, we vetted him and here's the process and we're proud of it, they should be willing to answer these tough questions and they shouldn't leave their franchise star hanging out there, sort of taking all of the backlash on Twitter because people are smart enough. They know that Neil Olshay is not running the Trailblazers account, right? Like there's no direct way to get answers except through Damian Lillard if you're a Portland Trailblazers fan. And that's what you saw him respond to was this frustration of like, come on, guys, you know who I am. And this fan base has been so loyal to him for nine years. Everybody knows that that's not who Dame is. That's not what he stands for. But you can understand his frustration at having to go out and say that because the organization has sort of left him as the only defense. 
So, AJ, for all of the, the things that seem to have gone awry over the last 48 hours with this hire, what can make it right now for the organization? I think a lot depends on how they handle this press conference on Tuesday. For those who have paid attention to Portland's offseason, which it's crazy that we're only three weeks into this, it was less than a month ago that Dame dropped 55 or 54 on the Nuggets and sent it to double overtime, which feels like a lifetime ago. But for those who have been paying attention to Portland's offseason, Neil Olshe hitting a presser out of the park is far from a guarantee. And so tomorrow is going to be really important for this Trailblazers organization and the franchise to explain their vetting process, to give the answers that people deserve. And I think the thing that's really important in this conversation, too, is, right, we talked about the people that have been left hanging, the sexual assault survivors and domestic violence victims who deserve answers and want an explanation. They've been left hanging. Your franchise star has been left hanging. Now a fan base that has loved Damian Lillard like the son they never had is also upset because he's potentially irritated. And then the fourth person that you really left hanging out to dry here is Chauncey Billups because this is a first-time head coach and you have not set him up to succeed, to walk into a situation. He already has to be on the defense. He has to call Damian Lillard ASAP and make sure they are on the same page and make sure he explains who he is and where he's coming from and all of that. And that's not a great situation for Chauncey to walk into. So it's not a great situation for the organization because no one is happy. Everyone is defensive and it's going to take a lot. It feels like to diffuse this tension among all the parties. AJ, we have to let you go, but I just have to say that's so well said because it's not just about this black and white. We're criticizing Chauncey and we're on the side of don't hire him. It's just saying that all of these situations require care and transparency. All of them will be better for everyone involved, including the person who is seeking out an opportunity and wants to say that they've changed or things are different or whatever it is. But by by trying to obfuscate, we don't accomplish anything. And then we continue to make the same mistakes over and over again. And to your point, anybody who has been victim to any of these things then feels like people simply don't care. And that's the worst possible mm-hmm. scenario is to let people believe that. So I uh, appreciate you coming on and talking about it so well. Thank you so much, AJ. We appreciate you joining us. Absolutely. Anytime. Thanks for having me. You guys can follow her on Twitter at AJ underscore McCord. Obviously, you can listen to her Monday through Friday, 12 to 3 on 1080 The Fan in Portland. AJ was brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. We've got a bunch of different stories we want to get in, so we're going to do it in the way only Spain and Fitz can. We'll do quickies next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason and Fitz. Jason and Fitz? Yeah, yeah, both, both of you. Both of you. Both of us. Three hosts tonight on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. It's me, it's Jason, it's whatever demon is in our technology that tried to kick me out of the show. When we're finally back together. I know. Technology. You know, but like I'm a Gemini, so like Maybe they say there are two of you. Sp- yeah, split personality things. There's two of us. I'm so sorry to your wife, Sonny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Amen. We're, br- we're brought to you by, for a number of reasons and not limited to you being a Gemini. Uh, We're brought to you by My Computer Career, training for a better (laughs) life. We're going to get back into tonight's NBA playoff game and the Suns' chance to uh, earn their spot in the finals um, and a little bit more on last night's game. But there's a lot of other stuff going on in the sports world, and we need to handle it the only way we know how, which is quickies. That is correct. For the millionth time, I'm going to say this. The WNBA is the greatest sports league in the world, and they're ahead of the game in almost every uh, turn, and they are a 
a, a, a giant group of role models for the rest of the world, not just in sport, but otherwise. And I say this today because 99% of the WNBA players are fully vaccinated against COVID-19. This is coming from a WNBA announcement today. A higher percentage than any other major U.S. sports league. Zero positive tests for the season. All 12 teams have met the threshold for being fully vaccinated as a team. And Fitz, this is something months ago you would have asked me. I would have said, duh, who cares? And then you look and see that NFL may be around 65% for at least one shot. And NBA is about 75% for vaccinations. Um, It's not quite as obvious as you might think. Yeah, and, uh, you know, first of all, I thought we were going to talk about my Vegas Aces and their big win. But, yeah, we, we do this, too. Uh, no, I, Chelsea I, Gray is cold. Oh, my God. Woo! I mean, just, woof. That, that was spectacular to watch. And you are right. I find myself yelling at the TV at this point. Like, I am all in on this. But <laughs> there's such a simple moment here with the vaccinations that I think every sports fan needs to hear, no matter what your opinion is. You've got to understand that at the end of the day, these players are making a collective decision on what is best for their sport and everything that they bargain, right? And so, to me, when I look at competitive advantage, which, you know, you, you can look across the board and see, as we've talked about on the show, there are certain teams in the NFL that will be at a competitive disadvantage because they haven't met mm-hmm. the threshold. The WNBA isn't playing any of that. They're looking at it saying, hey, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. We move as a unit. We're going to get it done. And now, all of a sudden, they can look and say, hey, we've taken care of this. We've checked it off the box, and we're able able to go out and live our sport like play our sport and be our sport all on the same playing field all the same way it, it to me it's inspiringly easy how they've done it and they've just made it look natural and there hasn't been this big yeah. argument about it it's been refreshing move as a unit is exactly the way to put it because that's how they do pretty much all all things in the WNBA all right next story quickies Game one of the Stanley Cup final is tonight. The Lightning and Canadiens meeting a very interesting matchup because we've got the defending champion uh, Lightning taking on a team who hasn't played in a final since 93. At this point, you probably know that the Canadiens are the last Canadian team to win it all. And that was back in 93, that it's been 28 years since they made a final, that There are endless storylines. Even if you are not a hockey fan, the incredible storylines around this particular Canadiens team, not the least of which fits, is just the bad luck for both the Lightning, that they won it all during a COVID year when they had kind of a weird half parade and it wasn't really, you know, a normal cup celebration, to the Canadiens, who are now finally back in it, but we understand how limited it is in Canada to get to witness this in person it just feels like such bad luck for a team that's waited so long. Yeah, by the way, Montreal comes into the Stanley Cup final 7-2 and two, uh, on the road, which is just absolutely incredible. But I also, let me like go way in the weeds here. My heart it, like really seriously breaks for our co-worker, Barry Melrose. Remember, he was the coach of the Kings that lost to the Canadiens. So he's got to deal with that through this whole series. And also, they lost on what was at the time like a ton of controversy around having a mm-hmm. stick that wasn't regulation, took away a goal. All of a sudden, the Kings that were the big favorite, they fall to Montreal. Like, I can't imagine Barry Melrose, who is like the coolest, just nicest, just most easygoing guy on campus. Like, every day that he's looking at this, <laughs> there's just got to be a part of him that's like up yours. I, I, it's just natural <laughs> human nature. Well, the game is tonight, uh, 8 Eastern. It's at Amelie Arena in Tampa Bay. Um, the, the, uh, the, the Lightning looking to be just 
the second of uh, the returning champions since 2000 to win. The Penguins did it 2016-17, but the Red Wings and Devils, uh, the other teams that made it in back-to-back final, were not able to uh, close it out a second time. So uh, the Canadians hoping that the trend continues and they bring that all-important cup back to Canada for the first time in forever. Uh, Let's get to the next story. Quickies. Fitz, I just wanted to ask you, because we've been apart for so long, uh, if you had any takeaways from the gymnastics and the track and field trials, I actually will be chatting with Alyssa Ronick tomorrow on ESPN Daily about Simone Biles and the choosing of the uh, USA gymnastics team, the best of all time, according to everyone's expectations. Um, but there was so much good stuff to come out of both that and the track and field. Yeah, I thought Simone Biles, and they were talking about it on Twitter, coming off the uneven bars where she made one mistake and she was devastated, yeah. speaks to the, the absolute professionalism that is like perfectionist, that, that, that rules who she is as an athlete. And I, I don't know, for me, this is such a special Olympics because these athletes, Athletes have already had to pause everything for a year, what it's done to their training cycles, what it's meant for the lives of everybody. You know, I think we've got to take an extra second this year and really appreciate what it's taken to get there. And while it's easy, uh, we just we're used to the women's gymnastics team going out and being epic every single year. I, we've just got to appreciate it because at some point we're all going to look back on Simone Biles and say, hey, uh, maybe she should have gotten more love in the moment, as much love as she already gets. I don't know that it's ever enough. Yeah, you're right. I mean, she's the greatest of all time. After Tokyo, she will be in every single category the greatest of all time, almost certain to come away with another all-around gold. And I think as much as you can say, well, yeah, she's supposed to win, there is enormous pressure when you are the greatest ever and when you are pushing yourself to do things that are not even necessary in order to win. She could do the routines that everyone else does, do them better than everybody and win, and instead she wants more of her signature events in in the point code book, more things named after her, and she wants to thrill the crowds and do the best that she's ever done. And that's incredibly impressive. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, doing a little something we call quickies. Here's the next story. Quickies. We've got our first MLB player to fall prey to the new rules on the sticky substances. And I don't know that it made anybody feel any better about the situation and the checks because Hector Santiago of the Mariners claims he was just using rosin and maybe it was sweat plus rosin dripping down his arm. And to me, Fitz, uh, that would be unfortunate, right? If he was dinged for it and it was unfair. But but I'm mostly hearing from people saying this is unnecessary, even as they're looking at the statistics that tell you in every category, there is a drastic decline in spin rate and we're going up in homers and hits and runs and all the things that we want more of in baseball. I don't know how people are deciding that this was a bad move other than the fact that it was done midseason. Rule 3.01 states no player shall intentionally discolor or damage the ball by rubbing it with soil rosin paraffin licorice <laughs> i mean like rosin is licorice. the second yeah i know uh, this rule is 100 years old and rosin is the second item listed <laughs> so when he says what's the big deal i was just using rosin that's against the rules yeah i don't know if it's specific to discoloring versus just using but in the end the result is what the uh, mlb wanted and i guess we can keep arguing about back and forth but as long as i'm seeing more balls in play that's what we want up next three one lead you're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, represented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear hotline. That's right, we're short. The show, that is, tonight. Uh, all the way to 8.30 as we get you ready for the matchup tonight between the Clippers and the Suns. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive's home quote explorer gives you multiple quote options so you can pick what's right for you. 
See for yourself at Progressive.com. Sarah, you know, the thing I'd say cautious is a good way to describe the way you and I have approached any analysis of the Clippers this year. You know, because Clippers going to clip, but maybe they're not going to clip. Paul George is going to be great. Maybe he's not going to be great. Maybe playoff P isn't any good. Maybe he is good. Like, it's just night to night, maddeningly inconsistent. And for a team that's found themselves in deficits throughout the course of the entire playoff, I'm not sure that I should be ready to make any sweeping generalizations on a team that's trailing three to one, but has lost several really close games. Are you ready yet to stick the wooden stake in the heart of the Clippers and say they are done? Well, first I'd like to commend you on rewriting my takes from this postseason because I did officially announce the death of the Clippers, I believe two series ago. Uh, oh, that is then yeah. in typical Clippers fashion, they did me wrong, uh, right? Because I had believed in them for years and they lost and I finally gave up on them and they won, which is exactly what the Clippers do every time. <laughs> so I appreciate you rewriting my bad takes or incorrect takes. Um, yeah, I mean, I think this series is over and now, of course, the Clippers will storm back because I've said that, but that's my honest opinion. DeAndre Ayton is doing Huge things for this team, changing the layout of the court. CP3's leadership is evident, even on nights when he's not shooting well. Booker, I think, will continue to get better the the further away he gets from the injury to his nose. You know, we've talked about this before. I broke my nose in field hockey. I had to wear one of those masks for the end of the season and state playoffs and everything, and then the beginning of basketball. And it's annoying. It steams up. It gets hot. You get sweaty. It hurts and, and makes it difficult to see. Um, you could tell that he was frustrated by it and got rid of it midway through the last game. And I think that the swelling and everything associated with that is just going to end up making him much closer to the booker that we saw earlier in the postseason, the further away from the injury that we get. Add all those things together against a team that's relying upon Paul George, who has been incredible. He's averaging almost 28 points, almost 11 boards, almost seven assists through the four games of the Western Conference Finals. But he's having to do a lot to get there. He's shooting a ton of shots and not very efficiently to get to those numbers. Uh, 28% from three-point range, I think, and, and just over 35% from the field. He's having to do a ton and not super efficiently, and they don't really have very many other places to go. So it, it to me, it feels like I feel much more confident even than before when I say that the Clippers are out of it, which means, uh, you know, huge blowout win tonight, uh, forcing more games. And uh, once again, I will have no idea what I can believe in. Yeah, and I mean, it's hard, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, to, to figure out what's real through some of this series because, like I said, the final scores have been so close. And uh, as we've alluded to several times in talking about the last game between these two teams, the shooting, I mean, it, it was sort of reminiscent of a middle school basketball game. Like, mm-hmm. it, it was cute, and they were putting a it heck of an ugly. effort in, but, like, it wasn't actually going to result in any baskets being uh, made. So, you know, it, it's hard for me to look at it and say they're done, but then the other part of it is, like, you know, we always use the, the term, especially around football season, the eye test. Like, the eye test says DeAndre Ayton can do whatever he wants whenever he wants. Now, I don't want to take anything away from this Clippers team because, frankly, they've been in so many strange situations and worked their way out of it. And the Suns are young, but I just, it's such a matchup nightmare, especially without Kawhi. It's such a matchup nightmare trying to figure out how anybody can stop Aiton on the boards that it just feels like at this point, 
the Suns have that extra edge of, of knowing they're in control. And that's one difference that I don't know that we've seen, you know, against the Mavs in that first round matchup. Like once it felt like the tide turned, it was virtually impossible to turn it back. And it feels like that's been the case every time. I don't know if it's because the Suns are young or because the Suns are just built the right way or because they're physically dominant, but they just don't seem to ever be intimidated in the moments where you feel like they might fold. To me, it's coaching and it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Um, the incredible turnaround um, for this team uh, with Monty Williams over the last couple years and his ability to lead in a way that gets the relationship that we're seeing between, for instance, Chris Paul and, and, and DeAndre Ayton is huge. It, it's, it's a consistency and an ability to finish. And, you know, I asked Brian Windhorst, again, not to name drop, again, the ESPN Daily that I'm filling in for all week, about that because, you know, Chris Paul does not have a reputation as a beloved teammate, right? Part of the reason that he's with the Suns is because other superstar players didn't want to keep playing with him. And he ends up taking on a role with with Aiton and this team where they cannot stop singing his praises. And you remember when he was out for that first game of the series with COVID, they're FaceTiming him and, and, and immediately calling him when the game ends to celebrate. It is very clear that he has found a place where he is uh, really respected and where his role is incredibly important. And that coincides with the confidence that they have down the stretch in these very close games where they don't let up. Well, it's just like some coaches resonate better with young rosters. Maybe some veteran players just have their message and their, right. their tone received better that way. That being said, when you talk about coaching and messaging, Ty Lue, everybody knows that he's, you know, at this point, I think it's become like the most cliche thing we say about the NBA is Ty Lue's got great adjustments. Ty Lue's the coach. He's going to make the difference. But part of it is that uh, he's dug him out of this hole. And for him, uh, he made it clear when he was talking to the NBA on ESPN radio uh, earlier about how they're approaching and really not just trying to dig out of this deficit game by game, but quarter by quarter. I just want to make it easy and simple as possible for those guys and just tell them, you know, you just want to try to win every time out and just try to win every quarter. Don't look at, don't think about the game. Don't think about three games. Just think about winning each quarter. And I think that's how we approach it in Cleveland in 2016. Just trying to win each quarter and putting yourself in position to win at the end of the game. And um, that's got to be our mindset and our focus tonight. You know, he he sort of flippantly mentions Cleveland in 2016, but I think there has to be a little bit of, messaging comes with proof of concept, right? And when you've got that, maybe maybe that gives you with a team that does have the star power that the Clippers can have. Maybe that's enough, you know, sort of hope to bring everybody together, Sarah. I just I just have a hard time seeing and and again, I, I don't know if it's the youth, but Phoenix just doesn't seem bothered by any of what the Clippers mm. throw at him. Yeah, it is sort of a house money situation. You feel like they're a lower-seeded team, even though they were a second seed in the West. <laughs> There's no reason to underestimate their abilities, but uh, there is something about the very quick way they've turned things around. This is a team that, you know, I believe hasn't been in the playoffs for over a decade, right? So to go from that to NBA Finals, the first NBA Finals appearance for Chris Paul, the first Suns Finals appearance since 1993, right? Like, there are these moments that you think they should be overwhelmed. They should be, uh, you know, th- this moment should be too big for them, especially young star like Devin Booker or Chris Paul, who has had it hammered into his head year after year that he can't advance past a certain point. And yet here they are showing up and also facing incredible adversity. The, the stinger that affected Chris Paul early, the COVID that affected Chris Paul, the broken nose for Devin Booker. This hasn't been an easy run, and yet Monty Williams' presence and, and the team, to their credit, has been extremely 
um, react, uh, not reactive, but, you know, they've reacted extremely well to that adversity. And and here they are on the precipice now tonight. And 830, by the way, is when coverage starts on most ESPN radio stations for this game, Clippers at the Suns, uh, with a chance to punch their ticket to the final. I think, you know, we can't be too shocked when you look at the the gradual growth of since Monty Williams arrived, and then, of course, with Chris Paul's addition. Yeah, I, you make so many great points with that. I mean, I feel, I feel like the 30 for 30 on this uh, team, should they make it to the finals, is going to be an interesting one just to, to to remember the journey they've gone through just in the playoffs and how many times we've been ready to try and find some way to count them out, and that hasn't been the case uh, at all. Obviously, there's a lot going on with this game tonight. Again, coverage begins at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. So up next, we'll, jo- we'll be joined by one of the people on the call. We'll get all of the info you need uh, from the game with the best insight possible next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.